pray together. Our Lord and Father, you are so gracious. You've given us hope through your Son, Jesus Christ. You've given us strength to walk because he who knew no sin became sin for us. And so now, Lord, as we look at your word, I ask that you will strengthen us, that you'll teach us, and you'll guide us. Amen. Well, it's good to be back. Sorry. Uh, One, I'm a little uncomfortable. If you don't know, the long and short of it is uh, on April 4th, Friday afternoon, I went in uh, to St. Teresa's Hospital to get an IV, and I came out uh, without an appendix, without a couple other things, and two weeks later, what was expected to just be a quick rehydration, uh, at the end of the day, we're still not entirely sure all that went on. We're still not sure why after surgery I got sicker, but this I know. My God shall supply all our needs according to his glorious riches. You see, as we look at Resurrection Sunday today, I get to stand up here and I get the privilege of saying, let's open our Bibles and look to John chapter 21. Because for 12 days, I couldn't get much above head high. And I'm still, I I apologize, I'm still not real strong. And I'm not trying to start a new fashion statement by not tucking in my shirt and wearing a tie. I physically can't tuck in my shirt right now. uh, And that's okay. Uh, But what is amazing is throughout that process, one, it didn't feel like I was in the hospital for 12 plus days, uh, partly because I was so sick, but more... Because for the first time in my life, I've been a sick guy, I've been in the hospital before, but I realized that I was living in the peace that transcends, that passes, that magnifies all understanding because of the resurrection and life of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for me. And I kept running over this story that I'd wanted to look with us. Thank you. Now I'm just going to cry some more. I kept looking over this story as I laid there, uh, because I didn't have a lot of energy, but I had enough to read God's word and read my way through Isaiah and had just a wonderful time. And I say that in all honesty. My time in the hospital wasn't comfortable, but it wasn't miserable because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done. And so I want to open, I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to John chapter 21. And we're going to start with verse 4. I was going to start just with verse 15, but I think we need some context. So we're going to go back and we're going to look starting at verse 4. And you can listen as, as I read the Lord's words. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. What in the world does this have to do with Resurrection Easter Sunday? Aren't we supposed to celebrate our risen Lord and Savior? Absolutely. And I can't think of a better way to do that than to consider Jesus' third sighting by his disciples. And that is this account we have at the very end of John's epistle. You see, in this story, we find ourselves a main character, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our risen Savior. He is risen. Okay, we're getting better. Good. He has risen and he's come and he's appeared to women first, which was interesting because normally if someone was asking for an eyewitness account in that day and age and in that culture, they never would have talked to women first because women weren't considered a credible witness. So they would have gone to men. Yet one of the great truths of the veracity of scripture is that The scriptures didn't leave out details. So Jesus first appears to women. Well, that's who the scriptures then tell us he appeared to first. They don't cover it and say, well, first he appeared to Peter and John and talked to some women later. No, he starts with whom Jesus first appeared, the women. Then he appears to Peter and John on the road. And it takes them a few minutes and then Jesus opens their eyes and they see their savior, the risen Lord and King is right before them and they are in awe. Later on, the disciples are sitting together having a meal and Jesus appears and Thomas, doubting Thomas, gets to ask his question. 
And miraculously, Jesus, even though he'd been fully resurrected, still had the holes in his hand that Thomas could see, could touch, and could see again that he is risen. A little slow on that one. Come on. And we see again that Jesus is showing he is not dead, but he is alive and he is at work. And we come to this and we find ourselves with Peter. Now, right before I began reading in verse 4, we're told that Peter decided to go fishing. Why did he go fishing? I don't know. It could have been out of boredom. He didn't know what else to do with himself. He knew he was to be waiting, but didn't know what to do with himself. He had to do something. Let's go fishing. I know how to do that. It could have been economically. They might not have had any money. They might have needed to catch some fish to sell uh, to support themselves. It could have been out of despair, not knowing what else to do, but go back to that which he'd always done. But they go out and they go fishing, seven of them. And while they're out there, Jesus, whom they don't recognize right away, tells them, turn your nets to the other side. Now, if you've ever gone fishing, you know that if there's fish, there's fish. It doesn't much matter which side of the boat you're on. You got to catch them. But they listen. They throw their nets out the other side of the boat and they catch 153 fish. That was not normal. That was not an average catch of fish. That was nothing short of miraculous. Jesus Christ, our miracle worker, our healer, our resurrected savior, was revealing himself again to these seven disciples. And he does it by providing physically for them and revealing himself the risen Lord. And in seeing them, John looks at Peter and he said, look, It's him. Took Peter a second to figure it out. But what does Peter do as soon as he recognizes Jesus? He gets his clothes, starts to put his clothes on, jumps out of the boat and runs the hundred or so yards inland or swims it. I don't know how deep the sea was and runs toward his savior who is risen. He couldn't wait to get to Jesus. And that brings us to an interesting point. You see, in verse 7, we're told, as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. Now, most of you, if you're going to go swimming, what are you going to do? You're going to take off your clothes, correct? You're going to make sure your phones are out and put away. You're going to make sure your keys are somewhere safe. Uh, You're going to make sure you're just, you've got the essentials on to go swimming. You're not going to be putting on your good clothes. But Peter, Peter put back on his clothes. Because Peter's hope had been restored. I don't know all of the emotions that were going on in Peter's mind at this point in time. But he looked And it's like John had said, he is risen. risen. 
And Peter, I would do it if I could. Peter just jumps out and runs toward his savior, realizing yet again, he is alive and he is right here in front of me. And there is hope in this mess. Because let's not kid ourselves. Peter's life was currently a mess. He had seen Jesus. In fact, he was one of the first to see Jesus alive. And that was miraculous. And that was life-altering. And it certainly warmed Peter's heart. But they didn't have that conversation that Peter had to know was coming. And then in the upper room, they're meeting and they're eating and they're sharing together. And Thomas gets to ask his questions. And again, Peter watches, but watches likely with a burden, knowing that he's carrying around a weight, knowing that he doesn't deserve to be there. Yes, the other disciples had fled, but Jesus, Peter didn't just flee. He denied you, not once, not twice. But he said, I didn't even know that guy, let alone follow him. And he did it three times. And Peter is carrying around this guilt, this hurt, this pain, and this agony but he sees his risen king again and he realizes there's hope and he runs toward the source of that hope. And it is not a building. It is not the good breakfast of fish they were about to have. It is his king, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is risen. Wow, this side's doing well. You guys, come on, wake up. (laughs) Hope was restored. I love what F.H. Rohr wrote. He says it like this. He says, hope is not some vague belief that all will work out well. That's not what hope is. But biblical hope is the certainty that things finally have a victorious meaning no matter how they turn out. We learned that from Jesus, which gives us the courage to live our lives forward from here. You see, I don't think Peter knew yet how it was all going to turn out for himself. But he knew that Jesus Christ was standing in front of him, risen from the dead. That doesn't happen every day, people. That was miraculous. It was life-changing and it was according to scripture. Peter would have known the word of God. He would have known the prophecies in the Old Testament to know that they had been fulfilled and he was looking at the Messiah, the promised son of God, the one that was to save and restore this broken world. Victory had been accomplished. There is hope in the midst of significant brokenness because he is risen. risen Amen. Peter knew Jesus had already won the victory. And while carrying around the burden and knowing that he was about to deal with it, he could run straight toward his king because Jesus was conqueror, was king, and is our Messiah. Do we understand that? Peter needed to understand that Jesus is his savior. 
that his hope was in Christ Jesus. That faith in Christ Jesus leads us to the victory that we have in him. And so we move on because not only does the resurrection teach us that our hope is restored through Jesus Christ, but we realize that the resurrection of Jesus Christ forces us to face reality. And the reality is quite simple. When they'd landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, if those of you are out there that have read the, the Gospels at all, when Peter denies Christ the, the last of the times, what was he doing? He was sitting around a fire, warming himself. So to see his king sitting around a fire, inviting him in, must have been a painful, treacherous reminder of what he had done to that very person of Jesus Christ. The very person that he'd said, I don't know him, was standing there saying, come, come eat with me. And Peter was faced with the harsh reality that yes, he had denied his Savior, but his Savior was standing there inviting him back. His Savior was standing there saying, come eat and fellowship with me. His Savior was standing there to help Peter face the reality of his actions and to move forward in grace and in victory and in hope because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so Peter, knowing that he had to face the reality, walks up and sits down and has a meal with Jesus and the other disciples. But again, you got to be thinking that Peter is sitting there wondering, when is the ball going to drop? When am I going to be another object lesson for Jesus? Because, you know, Peter was pretty good at opening his mouth and inserting his foot. He had done that on numerous occasions. This wasn't the first time he jumped out of the boat, remember? Not so long before he jumped out of the boat seeing Jesus miraculously walking on water and walks right toward him. And then he looks down. And then he starts to sink. And and Jesus raises him up and saves him. Now a time later, Peter comes back and he's looking at Jesus, likely feeling like he had drowned in his betrayal, likely feeling like he was no longer qualified in any way to serve the Lord, no longer qualified certainly to be a disciple, to be one of those that would follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Certainly not good enough to be that rock that he was called to be. Sometimes we feel that way when it comes to thinking about our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, before Christ, sin has, has defined us. It's, it's condemned us to death death away from Christ, away from an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord and his heavenly Father, away from being adopted into the family of God. 
condemned to hell and nothing short of it. Hell apart from relationship with our God and Father, our King and our Savior. And the reality is we don't like to face that. And some of us, even though we have believed in Jesus and we have confessed our sins and have been forgiven, we're much like Pilgrim in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. We carry it with us anyway because we just don't know how to let go of it because we don't feel we're good enough. Well, good news for you, you're not. And neither am I. And neither was Peter. There was nothing here Peter could do to resurrect his broken life. There was nothing here Peter could do to lift himself back up and say, I messed up, but oops, let's move on. No, because Peter was going to face up to what was coming by three short questions. Same question, different verbs, but same question each time. Simon Son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know I do. Feed my, tend my flock. Simon, son of John, do you Love me more than all these? Of course, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus looks into the heart of Peter and asks him, do you love me? And remember what Doug shared with us earlier. Not so long before, Peter said, I will follow you to prison and even to death. It's a bold claim. And I believe in the moment, good old impetuous Peter meant every word of it. But Peter was very confident in himself. We see that time and again, that pride was a struggle for Peter, as it is for all of us in one way, shape, or form. Peter loved being confident in what he was doing for Jesus. And sometimes it seemed he loved that and his enthusiasm more than he actually loved Jesus. And he was so willing to tell everybody he loved Jesus more than all the others. He was proud of himself. And so Jesus flips it on him. And here asks him, do you love me more than these? This time Peter can't say, of course, Lord, I love you more than all these disciples. Interestingly, as you look at the text and different commentators over the centuries have interpreted different ways, but John chooses to flip the verb for love a couple of times. You see, when Jesus first says, Peter, do you love me? He uses a verb form of the, of the type of love that we know as agape love the very love of God, that just surpassing love that is greater than all else. Do you agape love me, Peter? Yes, Lord, I love you, Peter answers. But he answers as in a brotherly, as in a friend, in a relational, lateral sense. It's as if Peter 
Some say that John just did that to change up the verbs. But if you go back to John chapter 15, you'll see that Jesus tells his disciples about the idea of laying down your life for those you love, for your friends. And there, when Jesus uses the word, he uses the word agape there. And when he talks about his friends, it's, it's a, the noun form of phileo, of that brotherly love. And so it makes sense to me that John would be intentional with his usage of verbs here when talking about love because Jesus was inviting Peter back into an all-encompassing love of God. But Peter, having faced reality, couldn't say that I love you with everything. He'd failed Jesus. He could say, I love you, Lord. And he meant it. But he wasn't about to say this time, I love you more than others. It's as if Peter has been humbled. It's as if Peter has realized that his confidence was no longer to be himself, but in the very love, the agape love of God. The best Peter could offer was the phileo brotherly love that we are called to with one another. And that is sourced through the agape love of our Father, God. And so Peter responds, yes, I love you. And then on the third time, Jesus does shift it up. Peter, do you phileo love me? We're going to walk this journey together. Because in a little while, Jesus is going to tell Peter some miraculous words, two of them. Follow me. And so Jesus, in restoring Peter as an apostle, as a disciple, has invited him back on the journey that Peter wasn't sure he was able to go on anymore. Peter certainly wasn't qualified. He had failed. He had literally denied Jesus Christ. He'd heard Jesus say things like, if you, if you deny me before others, I will deny you before the Father. He knew that. And he'd done it. Yes, it was a fulfillment of prophecy, but Peter still did it. But God, through his great love, gave us Jesus Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us. Jesus carried the denial of Peter, put him on his back, opened up his hands, and was nailed to the cross for all to see that he was carrying on his shoulders our, our sins, even Peter's. Even the tragic denial of Peter saying, I didn't know you. Jesus took that on. And now here, by nothing short of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. A couple of guys have a pretty good perspective of what this might have looked like. So let's watch.
grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there, and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net, and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord. It's real life. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter. Yeah. Do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there, and the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so, me and John, we hightailed it down there, and if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. Yeah. The angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said okay. what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. The interesting thing about that story, I apologize if you couldn't hear it very well. I'm not sure what went on. Uh, we'll show it again maybe after church if you'd like to see it. But if you noticed in the story of this narrative, when Jesus uses Peter's name, he doesn't use the name that he had named Peter, the rock. He goes back to his given name, Simon. 
son of John. And three times Jesus calls Peter by his old name. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Peter? Realizing that Jesus had had faith enough in me to call me the rock. And he probably felt pretty good about that. Remember, Simon did not struggle with self-confidence. But yet here, Jesus calls him by his name, lets him look reality dead in the face to see that repentance only came at the foot of Jesus Christ. Sin always needs dealt with. And grace is offered freely to all who would believe that Jesus Christ has gone to the cross for our sins and risen victoriously. He is risen. He is risen Once for all, death, the penalty of sin, death in hell has been conquered victoriously through what Jesus has done so that our sins are cast away that we might confess, we might repent and turn and go the other way. And we see this journey of repentance with Peter. Peter, turn from the way of Simon. Turn from the denial and feed my sheep. You see, Peter learns a valuable lesson here when he faces reality, as he deals with repentance, as he deals with the sin that was before him. And as Jesus so lovingly yet honestly restores him by giving him a call, we learn that grace calls for action. So often when we talk about Easter, we get really excited that because of what Jesus Christ has done, his death and resurrection, it means that we have eternal life with him. We who have believed on Christ have been forgiven and adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We get so excited about talking about 1 Corinthians 15 that we have that eternal life in 1 John 5 and 11 and 12. And we love to talk about this. Then we get so excited about eternity as well we should. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be amazing. The restoration of our world is going to be like nothing we could see or imagine. But that's not the only point of the resurrection. Because right here, look at what Jesus tells Peter. You love me? Then feed my sheep. It's amazing because the verb that that Jesus used there, it's the word for, for pastor, for shepherd, for leader. Peter, the guy who not so long ago betrayed Jesus Christ. He denied him. And that is a betrayal. If you have a dear friend, one that's been kept close to you, and they say, I don't even know you, that feels like a betrayal, does it not? And here, Jesus, in lovingly restoring Peter, looks at him and says, feed, lead, tend to my sheep. Yeah, you failed me, Jesus says. Now, I want you to own that, understand that, accept my forgiveness, and take charge. 
Now you've got a new challenge, a fresh commission. Get back to bearing fruit. Get back to doing what I told you to do. You remember what I told you to do? Love me, love others. Jesus tells him to make disciples. His wobbly love, the wobbly love of Peter was nothing compared to the agape love of Jesus Christ that would transcend all understanding and that empowers someone like Peter who had denied Christ three times to be restored, to be raised up fresh and invited to care for the very flock because who did who was who were we told was the good shepherd? Jesus Christ. And now he says, here you go. Care for my flock. I'm the shepherd. Your now job is to take care of them. Wow. In a miraculous turn of events, Peter goes from seeing and hoping in Jesus, dealing with the reality before him, and now being invited into a journey that calls him to tend the very flock of Jesus, to lead the disciples and the rest of the church to where Jesus was pointing us to go. That's amazing. That teaches me a lot. It teaches me as... One of our brothers a while ago reminded us that God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Not only that, but we look in the most undeserved of people here, Peter, a smelly fisherman, a sinner, and Jesus calls him to take care of the flock, to build his church. What was Peter left to do but to say, I love you, Jesus. I'm in. And Jesus doesn't stop there because he goes on to explain that your arms will be opened by others. You'll be led where you don't want to go to a death you don't want. And in that way, Jesus was explaining the way that according to the historian Tertullian, Peter was ultimately going to die, crucified. But Peter, still with this humility that I believe he'd learned on this day, even at the moment of crucifixion, Tertullian tells us that he didn't feel worthy of being crucified in the same manner as Jesus Christ, so he made him do it upside down. Peter had learned that it wasn't about him, was all about Jesus Christ. I got 12 days of wonderful love from my church family. I can't count the number of visitors I had, and I am so thankful. And the emails I got were amazing. But as I laid there at night, and nights are very difficult still, quite painful. But in that... I remember one moment recounting this story in my head, thinking about the sea that Peter had jumped into to swim toward Jesus. And you see, at that moment, I realized that in my life, I felt a lot like I was treading water in something I couldn't control. The doctors never did explain to me what was going on. I couldn't, I had other doctors come visit me and they asked, what are they telling me? And I said, I don't know, I'm sick. But God in his gracious love, other than the last day when I got pretty crabby, I 
had this great peace because I knew Jesus was standing there just as he had invited Peter long ago, saying, follow me. And as as F.R. Rohr told us earlier, hope is the certainty that we know Jesus will lead us. The outcome is up to him. The stops along the way are up to him. The path is his. It is all about Jesus and him glorified. In just a few minutes, we are going to celebrate with these eight beautiful and wonderful ladies over here what they have decided to do through baptism. They have understood that they are no longer their own, but they are Christ's, adopted this time as daughters. Men, come on. If you've never been baptized, I would love to see men leading the charge next time around, around Christmas. But this time we have these eight wonderful ladies that understand that baptism is knowing that we have been identified with Christ, adopted as daughters of the Most High God, and we will be known for all the world to see as his children, dying to sin and raised again victoriously once again. Why? Because he is risen. Lord, you gave us hope through your son, Jesus. You gave us reality, but didn't make us face it on our own. You let us look at our sin and you bore that sin for us. We don't deserve it, but your grace, your undeserved grace was spilled out for us. And then in your grace, you call us to action. You call us to make disciples, to love you, to love others, and to follow you. Lord, may this resurrection day lead the path for every day to follow. May we be your people that are marked by the hope we have in you, hope that reminds us of what you have done. Lord, we love you. And your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us.